You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You don't just live in your home. You live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, transportation, local amenities, cultural attractions, unique qualities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The Podcast Playground. On this episode of the Taken a Walk podcast, music history on foot, join host Buzz Knight with a musician whose career defines longevity and excellence. Mark Rivera is the author of a new book, Sideman in Pursuit of the Next Gig, the story behind his amazing career, which has included a 40-year run as a sax player for Billy Joel. You'll hear amazing stories and inspiration from Mark Rivera next on Taken a Walk. Well, Mark Rivera, it's so great to have you on the Taking a Walk podcast. Even though we're virtual, I feel like we're taking a walk somewhere in uh, your backyard. I, I wish we could be, telling the truth, uh, especially after last week. You couldn't breathe in my backyard, but we're, we're past that, thank goodness, right? I hope so. Oh, yeah. Well, congratulations on the great book, Sideman in Pursuit of the Next Gig. I love the book, and I love the themes of the book. Uh, in particular, gratitude. Can you talk about what gratitude means to you? Uh, yeah, well, um, the most important thing in, in our lifetime is that we realize how great, how blessed we are. Uh, I saw a wonderful, um, I think it was CBS Sunday morning with Michael J. Fox, and here's a man writhing with, with Parkinson's disease, and uh, Jane Pauley said something to the effect of, so what do you what do you have? I mean, how could you keep so positive? And he said, if we have something to look forward to, we have something to be grateful for. And I have so much to be grateful for because, first of all, I have the greatest, in my opinion, I have the greatest gig any saxophone player could expect to have. Uh, I'm also Ringo's musical director. I have all these wonderful 
friends in this business, and most importantly, I have my family. That's the main thing I'm grateful for. Gratitude to me is just stopping instead of getting on your knees and saying, oh, please give me, give me, or I need it, I need it. It's saying thank you. That's this moment right now. There's so much to say thank you for. Uh, and so many of us are hung up on getting the next um, big house, the next uh, Tesla, the next uh, boat. I'm just, I'm just happy as a clam to have my gigs and my family well around me and make new friends like yourself, Buzz. Well, you're very kind. Another theme in the book is longevity. <laughs> I think it's marvelous, the longevity in your career. What do you think the key to longevity is? Getting along. Just getting along. Uh, I, I always make my position, especially as a, a musical director, uh, make the analogy with a coach on a basketball team. I always say they have five guys on a basketball team. If I'm coaching five guys, um, I could go to one and say, hey, come on, man, Buzz, get, get it together, shake you a little bit, where someone else needs to be called. Hey, Buzz, you know, you missed that layup. You know, we'll get. In other words, everybody is an individual, and how you get along with each person is a separate entity. It's not like there's no cookie cutter that's going to fix uh, relationships. As far as longevity, I mean, uh, I just try to do what I do. Uh, I, I try to lift people up. Uh, my father, who's uh, basically mentioned so many times in the book, he'd always say, never look down on anyone unless you're helping them up. And I try to live by that because you, you know, everybody thinks that they're better than or they're trying to achieve to get as good as. Or, we're always comparing. Uh, I, I think longevity comes with your acceptance of your position. And uh, who, who was it? Um, who was a great coach? Um well, the well, you you'll say it's a, he's a great coach because he's your boy uh, from from the uh, Patriots, Bill Belichick. Belichick, do your job. Three words: do your job. And if you think about it, if I go into a gig or any situation, do your job. Just do what's expected of you, which usually means be courteous to people, uh, self-respect. I think that's what uh, is a great deal of it. People don't respect themselves. And they just come out with, you know, guns flailing. So many times people have uh, the answer to what they think is your question before they've actually listened, you know. And uh, longevity to me, do your job uh, and be, be conscientious of the people around you. That's pretty much it. <laughs> Don't tick anyone off if you can help it. <laughs> Another theme in the book that's quite obvious is you're a tremendous storyteller. Who did you learn your storytelling from? I, I that, that's a I don't know. Well, all I know is I, I I've been told that I have an incredible memory. Uh, I remember people's names for some reason, and when people ask me how do you do that, I have no idea. But it, God forbid if the day ever comes that I don't remember and I start to freak out. I, I remember instances. I remember particular uh, environments. Uh, I, I attribute a lot of that to. I'm mildly dyslexic, okay? So I don't read very well. In fact, I just did my audio book, which was a, a real feat for me. I attribute a lot of my storytelling to my memory. I just, uh, if I hear something, if you remember the uh, the line in uh, when Paul Simon asked about the charts, I said, well, I think they're kind of lame. So I just came up with a line. I remember, I could play those horn parts today because I remember them. If I hear it, I remember it. So 
my recall is quite strong. So uh, I, I remember stuff that I did. In fact, friends of mine from Brooklyn, I said, hey, man, how do you remember that stuff? I said, I don't know. Just, you know, we were on 39th Street. We were in a bowling alley. We played. We did our gigs. I remember what, what guys wore, uh, the times, how they affected us. Uh, I, I, it's funny you ask that, Buzz. No one has ever asked me that, and I really don't, obviously don't have a real good answer, except that I seem to have pretty good recall. And uh, that makes for, uh, and, and for that matter, why let the truth get in the way of a great story, right? So, <laughs> Well, go back to that moment in the bowling alley, uh, okay. which I'm sure you could remember as if it was yesterday. <laughs> yes. Did you have tremendous butterflies at that moment? And do you still, to this day, have butterflies when you perform? Uh, at the time, I uh, was... Jeez, we were 13, it was 1966. No, uh, yeah, 1966, the Beatles were on 64, I was 13. And um, we were getting, you know, the, the drummer Daryl and his brother Joel and my cousin Vinny, who was like, you know, uh, unfortunately Vinny's passed away. But we would um, practice and practice and we'd get to the gig. And it was just a bunch, a bunch of knuckleheads, four, four teenage boys wanting to play and it was just a blessing was i nervous heck yeah um mildly terrified at the time because the first time we played it for you know up until that point all we're doing is playing i'm not just stepping stone like you know like a thousand times just for the four of us finally there's like maybe it might have been a dozen people but it might as well have been shea stadium for all i knew and uh so that was that was unnerving but to this day People ask two questions. They say, do you get nervous before you go on? I said, I don't think it's nerves as much as it's excitement. It's, it's adrenaline. And then other people ask the other question. Does it ever get to be like a, a matter of fact on the side of the stage of Madison Square Garden? I say, dude, if you're on the side of Madison Square Garden and you look around at 20,000 people and the buzz that's going on, if you don't get, if your heart doesn't get pumped up, check it because you're not, you're not a white, you're not conscious. It's a, it's true that the, the adrenaline, the high of performing is tremendous, but I don't call it nerves anymore because we don't even rehearse with Billy at this point. In fact, I do a bunch of corporate dates and a bunch of gigs. I just did something for um, Breakfast with the Beatles yesterday. We got maybe 20 minutes to rehearse, barely, and it's five guys, but it's five guys who come in prepared. And it's like anything. Uh, again, any great organization is run by somebody who knows to delegate to great people. Otherwise, you're going to find the weakest link and that chain will break. So uh, it's uh, it's pretty interesting how, how you go. I just think it's a matter of how much I love what I do. And I'm going to make it the best it could possibly be. And you never take it for granted. Oh, no. No. Well, that's, again, uh, when you, you cannot do anything. I, I always say I have never phoned in a gig. In fact, uh, there was a club called Tracks in the City, and it was a great rhythm section. Uh, a dear friend who passed away, Yogi Horton, was the drummer. Bet Sussman, tremendous talent. Uh, Whitney Houston, and uh, uh, she was Whitney's uh, musical director. Tremendous talent. Jimmy Rip, who's uh, Mick Jagger's MD. Um, we had this band, and we'd back up all these different performers. And as it turns out, one night this guy comes up to me and says, hey, uh, I want to take your number someday. I'll be doing something. I say, yeah, sure. I didn't think about it. Four or five years later, 
I get a call from this guy, Jimmy Phelan, and he says, I want you to come to a recording session. I'm thinking, I hope it's not your wife because she was not that good. It turns out because of that gig attracts and the guy hearing that, you know, again, it was a small club and it was uh, his wife or girlfriend at the time wasn't great, but we played really well because that's how we, that's how you do it. You don't phone it in. And because of that uh, tenacity or because of the pride that I take in my playing, the guy called me up and that's how I got Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer. I got to play on Sledgehammer because of a gig that I did in this, I won't call it a dive bar, but it was, it sure as heck wasn't, wasn't uh, Madison Square Garden. So it's, uh, but that's, again, the approach. It, it has to mean something. If it doesn't mean something to you, geez, do something else. You've talked about your, uh, your formative years that uh, really influenced you musically as being that year 1967 in no particular, doubt. <laughs> right? Uh, tell me about, you know, the vibe and the, the music that was bouncing around in your head in 67. Jeez, uh, I'll give you a couple of examples, and I think you'll, you'll understand. In 1967, the Beatles put out Sgt. Pepper and Magical Mystery Tour. Jimi Hendrix put out Are You Experienced and Axis Bold as Love. Cream put out Fresh Cream and Israeli Gear. Um, the Rascals put out the Collections album. Uh, the Doors, Janis Joplin. Uh, it was all coming in, and it was at the time when DJs were allowed to play whatever they thought was cool, because a DJ, they, they were getting records all the time, and they play what they liked. It wasn't like, it wasn't the, the uh, and not, not to knock programming now, but geez, they, they, it's kind of like, well, this is what you're going to play today. You have a, a list of songs, and stick to the program which is all well and good for, for, for the monetary side of it. But as far as getting people to experience music, it doesn't happen. And in 1967, look, there were so many things going on. Uh, I'll go back a few years before that, in 1964, when the Beatles came out to the States in, no, in February. The preceding November, we lost Robert uh, John Deff Kennedy. We were, it was such a... It was there was all this turmoil and there was so much hate and there was so much young people were really disheartened. I mean, I remember my father practically in tears because of that. And, uh, and then soon after, in '67, we lost Robert Kennedy. We lost uh, Martin Luther King. So the music was a way that, that healed us. I was in '67. I was 14 years old, if I may say so. We were getting smoke a little bit of pot. We were finding, uh, engaging in sex and having all these things. It was a great time, and the music reflected that. Uh, a band called the Moby Grape uh, unfortunately put their record out the same day that Sgt. Pepper came out, and they had no chance. But they were still one of my favorite bands. Uh, I went to see the Moby Grape, but the guy Skip Spence had a bad experience with some drugs, so he had to cancel. And I got to see Cream their first show at Fillmore East. I got and you saw the you saw the picture of the Jimi Hendrix ticket. That's for real. I still have that ticket in my in my uh, in my wallet. That's uh, th there was so much going on, Buzz, that I was able to take a train from Manhattan uh, from Brooklyn rather into Manhattan. It might as well have been going like to Oz. Because kid in Brooklyn, you know, you have your friends, you have your, you know, you play your games, you're playing stickball. All of a sudden, you get on the F train, you end up in Second Avenue in the East Village. It's like, wow, it's like, it's like. Remember, um, 
uh, when, when in that part in, in, in the Wizard of Oz, when they, all of a sudden she wakes up and it's in Technicolor. It's, it was a whole different world. 67, I will say to this day, uh, it was the most fertile time in rock and roll music. I think in pop music in general. And we had um, just tremendous influences. You had, you had Richie Haven singing uh, protest songs. You had folk songs. You had Joe Baez. You had Bob Dylan, 63, 64, who my mom turned me on to. Um, at the same time, you had the other spectrum, at the other end of the spectrum, you had Psychedelia. You had uh, Santana. You had all these great uh, rhythm and blues. And Sly and the Family Stone, of course, um, was one of my favorite and he had and i'm not even talking about all the great r&b the black sounds out of detroit and out of memphis out of muscle shoals and again muscle shows it's i shouldn't say that because it wasn't the black they were all white but they played like in that swamp i think you're familiar with that right so um it, i i i could go on forever but the short answer is it was an unbelievable time. All you have to do is get a list of the of the Billboard Top 100 of 1967, and you'll say, "Wow!" I it was like a single week in 1967 eclipsed what went on, what would go on in a year. At this point, in my opinion, again, there's great songwriters still, but there's not the performers. I don't think that we had then. You had to be able, some of these recordings were, were, were recorded with one microphone in a room capturing eight, ten musicians. And if the trouble was loud, they'd say, when you get to measure 63, turn your trumpet, face away from, I'm sorry, face away from, from the uh, microphone. You had to play with dynamics. You had to be able to have this cohesive group. And um, unfortunately, that's what I missed most of all, is playing with a group of four or five guys in a room and just, you know, getting into it. So, so I, I'm sorry if that took a long time to explain, but uh... <laughs> it it was a, an amazing time for sure. Uh, I grew up in Stamford, Connecticut, so okay, I would take the train as well and uh, and head to the to the village. Um, and I was influenced um, greatly by the radio. That's why I got into radio, listening uh -huh. to WNEW FM. I was fortunate to get to work there at, at uh, a point in my career as well. And um, you're right, it had tremendous influence on how it curated for fans in a much different way. Absolutely. In fact, you mentioned WNEW. I just, I'm good friends with Dennis Elsa still and uh, Ken Dashow. I mean, I'll tell you, uh, we named our dog Roscoe because I remember Roscoe's tag. Uh, remember, I, I do love you so. And he was the coolest DJ. I have, had my headphones and uh, I, radio. Radio just transported me. It was so tremendous to have. It was such a vital part of my life. I, I mean, and FM was happening. You know, you were getting album cuts. You weren't just getting like uh, uh, you aren't just getting the top 40 uh, singles. It was exploding. It was great. So you, you know, you know. I have a uh, listener who of uh, the podcast who wanted to ask a question. Um, a gentleman by the name of Tom who lives in the uh, Philadelphia area. Uh-huh. And uh, he wanted me to ask you, um, what do you think was the uh, early fascination that the Philadelphia market had before really many other places had it 
with the song Captain Jack? Uh, that would be Ed Shockey. Am I, do you remember Ed? Yes, I do. So, I mean, you can't, you can't even imagine how much, of an, how much of an impact one person could have. Here we are again. We're talking about what a DJ is allowed to do. Try to get somebody to play Captain Jack 12 times in a row, and if he didn't get fired, I don't know what the heck was going on. Ed Shockey took, it, took Billy on his shoulders. Uh, you know, the thing about Philadelphia, because people ask me, like, you know, uh, other than, you know, Madison Square Garden, all these exotic places, where's your favorite city to play? I say, Philadelphia. They say, why Philly? I say, Philly got soul. Philly's always had soul. Uh, Philadelphia, to me, two things. If they love you, they love you. But if they don't love you, they hate you. It's like sports, like the Rangers and the Flyers or, or the uh, or any any rivalry with Philadelphia. You had this insane sense. But uh, Captain Jack almost couldn't fail because of Ed Shockey. You remember Ed, of course, right? I do, yes. I, Ed, I know uh, Ed was uh, an amazing trailblazer. And also one thing I always loved about Ed was uh, Ed never saw a... Uh, uh, a free uh, hospitality platter backstage uh, that he could never have his way with. <laughs> See, <clears throat> you're absolutely right. Ed enjoyed the uh, the backstage uh, the fair, old backstage fair. I'm also. Do you remember Mark Goodman? Yes. Okay, Mark and I are very good friends. In fact, I just did a Q and A that um, Mark hosted because Mark's out of Philly, right, or just outside of Philadelphia. Yeah, I'm telling you, there's so much connection to this, um, I call it the Acela line, from Boston. I mean, I'll go up as high as Maine because I love Maine. But from Boston through Connecticut, through New York, to New Jersey, Philadelphia, Washington, that whole corridor right there, it's, uh, it's something, might, it must be something in the water because it's how, it's how we, we connect to things. But, um, yeah, I remember when Ed used to come backstage, he'd always have, you know, there'd be some mayonnaise. Oh, no, we always go, you know, got to get this. But he was such a sweet, sweet man. And he gave, his passion was boundless. He just, he exuded, like, the enthusiasm. And and he'd be talking, yeah, yeah. And it's like, you made your point, Ed. But but he was so into it. I can't remember his wife's name now, but she was always there with him. Always. And, uh that, that that's the reason Captain Jack. I think that's the reason that Billy sustained because they were ready to. I think they're ready to pass. I think Columbia or CBS, whatever they were, they were close to like, hey, we got nothing. And Ed Shockey, I believe, uh, pretty much single-handedly turned Billy's career around. Well, yeah, Judy Shockey, that's right, was his Judy, wife. Judy, right. And I think, if I'm not <laughs> mistaken, too, there was also a pivotal moment with a Sigma Sound um, uh, session, live session, that WMMR would, would play. MMR, with, uh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, I wasn't in that band. I wasn't in the band at the time, but I know that I know what you're talking about. And it was that, that time, because I think that was like 78, maybe. Somewhere there about is that a, is that close to, to yeah, right? That sounds yeah, right. Yeah, I joined the band. Yeah, yeah. The, the main thing is, it's when you believe in something and you you when you hear something and it connects with you. It's this innate thing. It's visceral because it's like I always say about people say, "What is it about the saxophone?" I said, "It's like it's the closest thing to a human voice because it's in you. 
And when a song comes into your 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 psyche or your, into your being, people talk about like being Billy Joel fans and oh, Billy Joel's song is a three minute snapshot of my life. Well, I go back a lot further than that. I go to Beatles songs, Beatle Beatle lyric. I uh, remember, look, I want to hold your hand. The first, you won't be long. Yeah, the first time I heard it won't be long. I freaked out. My my aunt Doris bought me the record. It was just like a, a it was a game changer, and I could hear some Beatles. Lyric, I remember uh, being on, on the train, or on the bus rather, with my friend John Grado. We cut out of school, and I had my father's uh, Toshiba transistor radio with the one earbud and listening in, and We Can Work It Out came on. I'm like, this is great. First of all, the song was tremendous because you had the perfect balance of Paul's optimism, try to see it my way, we can work it out. Life is very short, there's no time for fuss, and that's John. John said, this is how it is. Stop putzing around and get hip to it. But Paul, their balance of the, the lyric was tremendous. So when something comes into you and makes that kind of, or has that kind of effect, it's tremendous. It's just tremendous because, I mean, there are moments in my life that I'll never forget. The first time in my, in my well, in my grandmother's uh, living room, listening to Meet the Beatles and then watching the Ed Sullivan show, that is a pivotal pivotal moment in my life, not unlike um, when I was accepted into high school performing arts. These are things that, you know, changed my life. I was 14 or, yeah, 14. And I was going to high school to, and there, were, uh, there was music, dance, and drama. There wasn't even a gymnasium in the school. It was, you went there to, 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 to hone your craft. And those things were just, just tremendous, just tremendous to have that opportunity. Tell me how you got connected with John Lennon. Uh, I was in a band called Bump. It was it was actually called um, Community Apple. That, no, no, I'm sorry. It was before it was called Dog Soldier, after a John Lennon lyric. Um, my dear friend John Colbert was in a band. And it keeps cycling back and back and back. I met John Colbert, the keyboard player. Uh, we did a jam session in Brooklyn, <clears throat> a bunch of friends. But my cousin Vinny, which is how the book starts, my dear cousin Vinny drove up to the Catskills, and I had already been, you know, I was with Sam and Dave, and I thought I made it, and then I fell. Oh, no, I was with Eclipse. We were with this band, and I, was, and I thought I was a rock star because we, we were managed by uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears' as manager. And then that went, went to crap. So finally, I'm playing in this Latin band, playing bass in a Latin band, no place you want to be, especially after you thought you were going to be a rock star. And we go upstate, and I'm playing boom, 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 bored to tears, and freaking out, saying this, this is what my life has become. And I had a saxophone, uh, and I got to sit in with this little combo. And the night before, I met this trumpet player, Bob Livingood, also, may he rest in peace. There's so many say that too often. Um... And he heard me play, and he was impressed with my sound. So he said, yeah, you got to come down to the record plant. Uh, I'm in a 10-piece band, and I think you would dig it. So I'm like, yeah, okay. I didn't think much of it, but I got to play a little bit, so it took me out of the doldrums of the boom, boom, boom. So I finally got that. Fast forward maybe a half a year, Bob Livingood calls my cousin Vinny, says, hey, tell Mark if he wants to come up to the record plant. I'm like, yeah, cool. So we go there, and it was a tremendous band, 10-piece band. Uh, Vinny Apice, Carmine Apice's brother, played drums. Uh, 
it was just a powerhouse. Four four uh, horns, two trumpets, trombone, and a saxophone. And it turns out they were going to replace the saxophone player. And the only one who had heard me to that uh, to that point was Bob Livingood, the trumpet player, and of course John Colbert. So I get in the band. Time goes on, and little by little, I knew John Lennon was was recording in the studio because uh, the guys in the band had already done some hand claps, I think, on walls and bridges. And my d a friend Jimmy Iovine, uh from Interscope Records and a couple of other small en endeavors in his life, he and I grew up in rival bands. So he said one day, he and Roy Sakala, who were the owners of the record plant, said, come inside, I'll do something. And I was literally cleaning the garbage. I was living at the record plant. And they invited me in little by little by little. And uh, finally, John was about to do this tribute to Sir Lou Grade. And the band backed him. We did a couple of tracks. Most of it was um, lip sync, but, but we did get to play a couple of things with him. But it was just... Again, it was another one of those Oz moments. I think I said in the book something to the effect, if I told you when you go through those doors, you're going to meet John Lennon. First we say, yes, yeah, sure, sure. But once you do, there's no turning back. And what would you say? How would you act? It's like one of those hamada, hamada, hamada moments that you just don't know. You try not to step on your tongue and you try to be cool, which is, um, again, part of uh, longevity. Just be cool. It's, I, don't, I don't know what else to say, but that's how we got to work with John. So tell me some um, horn players that really influenced you from the past and any horn players of the present that influence you. Uh, the horn players of the past would have to be Junior Walker, King Curtis. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a real jazz guy. I mean, I, I listened to my, my dad took me to see Sonny Rollins when I was like seven or eight or maybe maybe 10, I'm sorry, I was about 10. He took me to see Coleman Hawkins' last performance. So those are tremendous sax players. And uh, he'd have, you know, Just Jazz with Ed Beach. That was a radio station he used to listen to. WRVR, Riverside Radio. You, you Okay, there you go. So, and, um, so my father used to tape the stuff really slowly, and it would last like the full, the full hour on each side of the, uh, the tape. So those are the guys. I would have to say, oh, Bobby Keys. Bobby Keys was a big influence because he was a soulful rock sax player. I'm not like a real chops guy. I'm not like a, uh, but the guys who really impressed me with text, with technique is, of course, Michael Brecker, David Sanborn, uh, Ronnie Coover, ba uh, Barry sax player. But there's a gentleman uh, who's playing now with um, Dave Matthews, uh, Jeff Coffin, who used to play with um, Bella Fleck and the Flecktones. I don't know if you're hip to that. But he's just a tremendous player, and there are young players. I get. I just sat in. I just did a gig over last weekend, and this young kid, like thirty-five, half my age, which is crazy, uh, with a tremendous tone and a great attitude. This kid Steven Salcedo, just a wonderful young player, vibrant. And I'd hear him playing, and I turn around and say, "That's great stuff." And and he'd look over and goes. Just trying to be like you, Mark. I'm just trying to be like and think. Wow, what is this, 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 this. So this, this wheel keeps turning. But uh, those are those are the guys. They, they, I'd have to say there'd be more R and B. The guy I can't remember the saxophone player who, who played on the Pink Panther. That sound on the Henry Mancini. In fact, the saxophone player I think got a, a piece of a royalty they gave him on that, which is tremendous to think about a guy whose sound was so so influential or so so much a part of the song. 
Mark, I think of you um, like an entrepreneur in how you sort of not only have your Billy Joel, you know, gig that you're so grateful for, but you have the other work, you know, with Ringo. You have the work you do on the corporate side, um, you know, to really sort of round out your work. Um, where did you get this entrepreneurial spirit? <laughs> In pursuit of the next gig, I guess. It's really... It's funny because people say now, how could you possibly be in pursuit of the next gig? So this has been going on for 50 years. From the time I was 13 was my first gig, but from the time I was like 18, all the way through, which is 52 years, I've been gigging and I've been playing with different bands and you, you go through different cycles and it's it, you try not to just stay stagnant. Playing with different people to me is, is the greatest thing. It's the greatest communication. It's... Um, Entrepreneurially speak, as that's a word. Uh, I was always trying to trying to create a situation for myself. I mean, there was obviously times when there was no work. Billy would take off for three years, and I had a hustle. I had a hustle. I had. A, I was selling life insurance. I was cutting trees down, and uh, I did. Look, I think the main thing is um, that I learned from my father to never be above any situation. If your family needs to be fed, if you if you have people that you have to take care of, nothing should ever be below you. You should be happy to have the opportunity to provide. So that uh, necessity being the mother of invention, you, you come out of that. I needed to do certain things and I was not going to be let down. I was not going to let them down. It's pretty much how it went. And I, to this day, I don't think about it as an entrepreneur, but I guess, of course, you're right, Buzz. It's, uh, it's what I do. I go out and I hustle. So let's play some uh, word association or words association with some Billy Joel songs, if, if it's okay with you. Of course. Scenes from an Italian restaurant. The word association, there's like a bunch of guys. Uh, we used to play, myself, Liberty, Russell, and David Brown used to sit in back while Billy would start the beginning of piano of uh, uh, Italian restaurant. The scenes are like you know it's 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 like a uh, it's a it's a proper piece of music with like a, a a beginning an intro, a release a prelude and and then each one is a section. So these are different scenes. You could it's almost like you could be sitting in Brooklyn, outside and you're looking around. You're sitting having a bottle of wine or some pasta with some friends. Oh, that's going on. Oh, there goes Brendan Eddy. Oh, they, you know then twenty years later, these are the scenes that I think that Billy was was evoking. At least that's what I get out of it. Summer Highland Falls. That's uh, that's just him. He loves that area, Highland Falls. It's just he just uh, the song itself is beautiful because it is about manic depressants. <laughs> it's just uh, it's just high as a kite and low as low as the, the, the lowest doldrums you can think of. It's the and but most importantly, it's the ability to lift yourself out of those uh, out of that depression. Reasons coexist with our insanity. Uh, it's just it, he writes his his he's such a, a wordsmith. It's just it's just his battle with his probably his own. Uh, I won't say it's just depression, but we're all manic. We're all manic. We're all. Um, hey, this is great. It's great until it's not. And then this sucks. It sucks until it's not, and it changes. So we constantly go through changes, and we evolve. And I think the most important thing is how do you cope. How do you get by day to day? What do you do? What What are you going to do now? 
How are you going to remember the great Mike Tyson line? Everybody's got a plant that they get punched in the face. You know, so you, we're all going to get punched in the face. So somehow around falls one of, one of my favorite songs. One more here. Uh, this is the time. My favorite Billy Joel song. My singular favorite Billy Joel song. Because it says, these are the times to hold on to. So many people look back on their past or live for what might come in the future. This is the only time. Presence, you, and your presence in the present moment is the most important thing. It might have been Michael J. Fox again that said this. You can change your future by your perception of your past. In other words, your attitude at this present moment, reflecting on the past and accepting that, will change your attitude now, which in a sense will change what you feel going forward. But this is the time, holding you close is like holding the summer sun. It's like, I told, I, I was a, a, a guest DJ on Sirius Radio, and I picked different songs, and that was, that was I said, this is my favorite song. I said, and if I wrote the line uh, about uh, this beach is so cold on winter afternoon, but holding you close is like holding the summer sun. I said, if I wrote that line, I would have been done as a songwriter. And that's just one of the thousands of lines that Billy wrote. Uh, it just means so much. It's such a beautiful song. This, it, this is the time. Not that in the past and not what you're thinking about going for. This is the time to hold on to. It's the constant. He's always doing that. He's got this amazing ability to really play with you with the words. But uh, the song is beautiful. David Brown played such a beautiful solo on that. It's like Hendrix. In fact, the end of it is like the end of a Jimi Hendrix song. He'll say, it, you know, that one and uh, Easy Money. Easy Money is the end of Axe's Bold as Love. So uh, Billy steals from the best, as he'll tell you. So. Allow me to play word association right now. And uh, I'm going to say Mark Rivera, and my word would be amazing. Well, you're so very kind, Buzz. <laughs> it's, it's incredibly kind of you. Thank you for being on my podcast, and uh, thank you for all the joy you continue to uh, give me and, and others. Uh, I appreciate it. Buzz, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, and God willing, we'll keep moving forward. That's all we can do. Taking a Walk with Buzz Knight is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. 
No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.